0: We are in a new series that we have entitled One Month to Live. And we want to, over really, it's going to be six weeks, we're going to begin uh, this 30 days by, uh, by having an introduction to this series by asking the question How would I live if I had one month to live? What activities would change? What priorities uh, would be set aside and new priorities created? Who would we spend our time with? What would we do if we had just one month to live? Now, you say, Tim, uh, it's a beautiful fall morning. Uh, This church is a young and vibrant church. Tim, you're a young and and vibrant pastor. Why would you go down the road of asking the question about our own mortality? Why in your mid-30s, Tim, would you ask the question, uh, what would I do if I had one month to live? I think that's a question that we all must ask. I don't think it's a morbid question. I don't think it's a question that is out of line. And I think at the very essence of who we are, at different times in our lives, we begin to ask the question, when will my time be done? And what will my life, what difference would my life have made with the years that I had on this earth? We ask that at different times. Of course, I know with three boys growing up, I want to take every moment that I have to make sure that I pour into their lives and make the most of every opportunity that I have. But this is the fundamental question that we must ask. You know, death is the great equalizer for all of us, death is the only certainty that all humanity has in common. We know that at some point, just like every man, woman, and child who has gone before us, we come to an inevitable end, which we call death. That's why it is this great equalizer. In fact, it is said that until we contemplate death, we can never contemplate life. They say, Tim, this is a question, of course, that, that pastors would ask, and I would beg to differ. I'm going to ask the AV guys to put up a a video. Uh, It's really not as much of a video as a song with lyrics by the popular secular group called Nickelback. And they ask this question. Watch with me. If today was your last day, if you had one month to live, how would it be different? How would you live differently? That's what we want to look at. You know, it isn't just through artists like the group Nickelback that ask that question, but Scripture does as well. I want us to open God's Word and look at a couple passages of Scripture to set our mind to some of these things. And then I want to share uh, why uh, this is such an important topic to talk about and to start this series in in this week that we are. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90, verse 12 for a moment. Psalm 90, verse 12, the book of Psalms is in uh, the Old Testament, right in the middle of the Old Testament, and Psalm 90, verse 12, I'll let you uh, turn there, says the following. It says in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The idea here, what the psalmist is saying, is that we need to know that our days are numbered. All of us know that. The moment we're born, uh, the clock begins to uh, work its way down to our inevitable death. And the writer here is asking us to teach us God to teach us to number those days to make the most of those days it is when we make the most of those days that we gain a heart of wisdom the scriptures go on turn in your Bibles to Psalm 102 verse 3 Psalm 102 verse 3 just a couple pages over from Psalm 90 we find Psalm 102 verse 3 says for my days vanish like smoke I'm not sure how your life is, but uh, weeks seem to be going by at an unbelievable pace. It's amazing. I don't know about you, but this last summer seemed to have flown by. We were just out in Waterman celebrating the Memorial Day picnic yesterday, and now we're beyond Labor Day. The kids are back in school, and we're already turning the month as we go. In fact, we're already in the 12th day of September. And what the scriptures are telling us is that we must understand that life is moving faster than we would ever know. And this is why it is so important for us to number our days to make the most of every opportunity. And this is what the psalmist then says in Psalm 39. I'll just read it for us. Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5 says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth; the span of my years as if they were nothing before you. He finishes this text and he says, each man's life is but a breath. Do you know that your life is a vapor? Do you know that your life is but a breath when it comes to all of eternity? We're never guaranteed tomorrow. And the Bible says that we must live for today because we don't know what tomorrow might bring. This we recognize, of course, in this incredible week in September. None of us can forget nine years ago on September 11th, looking with great fear and trepidation at what was going on in Washington and Pennsylvania and, of course, New York City, as we watched planes fly into buildings, as we heard terrible reports of terrorists who were attacking our very way of life. And we saw thousands of our brothers and sisters who are part of humanity lose their lives. We heard the 911 accounts. Of course, there's a uh, a YouTube video of a man named Mr. Cosgrove who was on the 101st uh, floor of the World Trade Center. And he's with another man in the office. And they're on the 911 phone uh, with the operator. And they're asking for help. They're pleading that someone will come. And then the phone call comes to an end, and what you know is hearing in the background is World Trade Center number two coming down. In that moment, Mr. Cosgrove lost his life. As I began to think about that, and as I watched some of the memorial services and some of the videos that were shown yesterday in remembrance of that horrific day, I wondered if any of those people knew that day was coming. Did those people hug their children as they left for work on that? If you remember, it was a just gorgeous, gorgeous September morning, very much like today. Did they kiss their spouses with a little more affection? Did they apologize for uh, the mistakes they had made the day before? Did they do anything out of the ordinary? And I would answer, probably not. Because they did not know it was their last day. They knew only that it was a day just like the day before. This week it brings a lot of, uh, of emotions up for a lot of us, but I will go even farther and say this week is a, a, a moment uh, for me and my family that, that is marked off uh, because uh, this week I celebrate, uh, my family does as well, or commemorates a better phrase, um, the death of my older brother. I want you to put a picture up. This is my older brother, Christopher William Bedall. And this week, we celebrate 20 years since he's left us. On a Sunday night, coming home after uh, spending some time at a youth group event and spending some time with a girlfriend that he had, he was coming home around midnight, right on Route 30, and he fell asleep. We don't know when he fell asleep, but for a long stretch of the road, it was straight, and they believe that he was asleep for maybe a couple miles. And they think around midnight, about the time he was supposed to be home that night, he fell asleep, and when the road curved, his car went straight into a concrete culvert. He was killed instantly. I want you to look at the date. He was only 16 years old. They say the good die young, and in that case, very much so was true. And so this reminds me, and this is something I learned when I was 14. He was a couple years older than me. That I can't be guaranteed tomorrow. And this has changed my life. It has revolutionized the way I live, the way I raise my children, the way I spend time with my spouse, the way I serve my God. And some say, Tim, you're going all out. you're, You're going as if you don't have tomorrow. And I say, I agree. And it's because of this young man. Because I know that the Lord will one day call me just as he'll call you. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once. There's an appointed time for each of us that we will die. I know of nobody in this world besides Jesus Christ himself that has not experienced death. And so we must understand that it is a certainty that we, just like those incredible victims of 9-11, just like my brother Chris, that we too... We'll come to our end. And so the question that we come up with today is, are we living the dash? Now, what do I mean by that? Are we living the dash? We are guaranteed a birth date. And just as you look at my brothers, he was born in November of 1973. He didn't know who he was being born to. He didn't pick the day. He didn't pick where he was going to be born, what family he was going to be born into, what he would look like. He didn't pick any of that. Nor did he pick uh, this week 20 years ago that it would be his last. I, was, I spent time with him that week. There was nothing that would have ever made him think that that was the last week that he would live. I remember very clearly when we were in the old building of this church worshiping that, that Sunday. And I don't remember anything different. I don't remember him saying, you know, uh, peeking over to me and saying, uh, when we sing, great is thy faithfulness uh, when I'm up in heaven tonight... That will be amazing he didn't say anything like that he just lived life like a normal teenager would and so we don't know our birthday and we can't pick that out or pick the details of it nor can we pick out that last part of uh, the date there the day that we will finally see our end but what we do have all the control over is the dash in between the dash in between And this is where the scripture says to have us teach us to number our days. How are we living that dash? What are we doing that will leave a legacy for those around us that we lived life differently, that we made a difference in the life of those around us? It all depends on what we're doing with the dash. A lot of us are, and I'll change the the sequence of the words, are dashing to live. We run around here, we run around there, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're always going, going, going. We've got this on our schedule, we've got that practice on our schedule, we've got these people uh, to go and help and, and to visit and all of these things, and never do we stop and ask the question, is this what God would want of me? Are the things that I'm doing creating an eternal legacy that will change others' lives. If we're dashing to live, we're missing out on that. Now, here's the amazing thing. The only one who knew the time that his end was coming was Jesus Christ. Jesus knew because Jesus was God, Jesus knew that uh, the exact moment, at the exact time, and in the exact way, how his end would take place. The Bible says that it was predetermined by the Father uh, eons before the worlds were created, that God would send his Son, Jesus Christ, and that his Son would live a life of perfection, and that his Son, at 33 years of life, would lay down his life on the cross of Calvary. And So what did Jesus do? Jesus knew his birth date, and Jesus knew his death date, and what we see is four things that Jesus did. Jesus lived the dash. The first thing that we see that Jesus did in living the dash is that Jesus lived passionately. Jesus lived passionately. Notice uh, what we see in Jesus' life. Jesus knew life was but a vapor. Jesus knew his time on Earth was short. And Jesus lived his life to the fullest. Nowhere do you see Jesus asking the disciples on what a priority he should have or shouldn't have. Nowhere do we see uh, Jesus living a life of regret saying, I wish I would have spent more time with this person. I wish I would have spent more time in this town. Jesus lived life on purpose. He did everything for a reason. He spent the right amount of time in the right places Because he wanted to live, if you will, the dash of his life, so that it would have eternal implications, and we're so thankful because it does. Because of this, Jesus living life on purpose, because Jesus lived passionately, we see that Jesus did not simply survive. Jesus had a lot of struggles in his life. Jesus had a lot of pain, a lot of issues in his life. But we need to recognize that Jesus never made that an issue. He lived life on purpose. He lived life with passion. But, but what does that look like? What is living passionately, what does living the dash look like? Number one, Jesus gave his all. This isn't in your outlines, but write it somewhere. Jesus gave his all in everything that he did. Jesus never gave 50%. Jesus never lollygagged, if you will. Jesus never went and involved himself in something that he was unmotivated to do. He lived passionately. Everything was to the floor, if you will, full throttle, serving his God and his King, the Father in heaven, and serving us. He lived passionately. We know, secondly, that Jesus made the most of every opportunity. When Jesus saw an opportunity, he used it to bring glory to his Father in heaven. He used the opportunity to meet the needs of those around him. He served in those ways, making the most of every opportunity so that he would be a change agent, the Savior that he was sent to be. He lived passionately. Uh, The next thing that we see is that Jesus never made excuses he never shied away from the difficult things. He never got tired and, and would come up and say, you know what, today I just don't feel like being the Savior of the world. Today I don't feel like being the Lord of creation. Disciples, I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to just, ministry's too hard. The people are, are are too much for me to handle, so I'm just going to go away for a while. Take a sabbatical, if you will. Jesus never does that, but what Jesus does is he lived life to the fullest, taking on the troubles of this world, taking on the triumphs that were there, and he used them all to point to the glory of God. Finally, Jesus didn't hold anything back. Jesus recognized. He recognized that with the short time that he had, that there was much to accomplish. There was much to be done and we look, and you will see as you read the accounts of Scripture that Jesus would rise early in the morning, and he would go to bed very late in the evening. Why? Because he was serving. He was ministering. He was taking care of the needs of those around him because he had great compassion on people. All of these put together, we, we know that Jesus lived passionately. And there's no wonder that when we talk about the last week of Jesus' life, we call it the Passion Week. What a passionate thing Jesus did. The things that he endured, the hardships that he took on. And here's the amazing thing. In John 10.10, if you'll turn there for a moment, John 10.10, Jesus wants to give us the same kind of life. In John 10.10, John, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John of the New Testament, John articulates how we ought to live passionately how we ought to live with no regrets, how we ought to live uh, living that dash in between our birth and our death, to live and leave it all out on the court, if you will. And this is what Jesus says. Speaking to uh, a group of people, his disciples, he articulates this in John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, that you may have life and have it to the full. There's a couple things that we need to look at in regards to that verse to understand how Jesus lived passionately. And the first thing we must do is look at a comparison. The first thing we must do as we talk about living passionately is look at this comparison. Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We can live life on our own. And by living life on our own, we will run the risk of life being very, very difficult. I will go on to say life will be impossible for us to find joy, peace, and true contentment in life. Because the thief Jesus is speaking about is the devil. And the devil wants to come into our lives, and he wants to bring hardship and struggle and pain. He wants to destroy who we are so that we will not have a life that impacts others, so that we will not have a life focused on others, but a life that focuses in on ourselves, and so we will consume all that we have, and in the end we will find out we have no life left whatsoever. And so the comparison is given, Jesus says, there's this thief who comes to only steal, kill, and destroy, or there's life with me, because I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Which will it be? Uh, there's some characteristics that we must look at in regards to this life. Jesus says, I have come. The whole purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to give us, human beings, the opportunity to live life as if we've, as in a way that we've never lived it before because we're unable to. And notice what he says. He says, I want to give you life and give it to you in all fullness. Other translations say, I want to give it to you in abundance Other people uh, have translated this verse to say, I want to give you life in a way that you could never have imagined. This life would be so great, so awesome, so wonderful, so full of blessing uh, that you've never seen anything like it before. This isn't your normal everyday life, but this is a life of one Jesus Christ who came, who died for you and me so that our sins would be paid for. So that we could become now not enemies of God, but friends of God. And God says that throughout his word that he would minister to us. In fact, Jesus said another passage of scripture says, All of you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. If there's not a verse in our world today, That that invitation rings true for us. What a verse. I don't know many people who aren't burdened. I don't know many people who are weary. And Jesus came to this world to take your burdens away. This is the kind of life that God has given us. But it involves a choice. It involves a choice. You can either try to live life on your own and try to make it happen on your own and try to fight the devil in this world to not destroy the life that you don't have. Or you can give your life to Jesus. And you can start living for him. John wrote another book that we've just finished studying, the book of 1 John. And I just want to read a verse from 1 John. 1 John chapter 5 uh, tells us this in regards to uh, living uh, the life that God has for us. And this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. A decision that we must all make before we can begin to live the dash is to stop and to ask the question: If I am here, and my inevitable end will come, whether it's today as I leave church or seventy years down uh, the time of uh, uh, the process of time, why am I here? Who created me, and what was I created for? And at the end of that life, will I have lived like? My creator called me to. And Jesus says, a choice has to be made. You want life? Then life comes in him. Life comes through him. Life is made available because of him. It's like deal or no deal. It's as if what God is saying is all right. You know what you've got here. But you could have something so much more. Some of you have come today, and you're so tired of life. You're so tired of of running through the rigmarole, if you will, of, of life and all the demands and everything. And today you're being introduced to Jesus, who says, come. Come, and I will bring you joy. Come, and I will show you what true peace is. Come, and I will show you what real love is as I demonstrate my love to you. Jesus wants us to live passionately. Are you living that way today? As you live your life and your work and with your family and with your friends, do you live life on purpose? Do you live life with a passion that isn't from you, but from, comes from God himself, that imitates and mimics the love that Jesus has shown us? Notice the second thing that we see this morning. Jesus not only lived passionately, he loved completely. He loved completely. Again, we look to John's gospel as we unfold each of these. And just so you're aware, these are each of the weeks we'll be talking about one of these things. And so we want to give just a, a quick overview of each of them. But notice, listen to what Jesus says in John 13, one. John thirteen one. It was just before the Passover feast, John tells us. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave. Here we go again. Jesus knows when his time on earth is about to be done. And in John 13, 1, it says, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus knew that his days were numbered, and he recognized that, and the response that he has is that he loved completely. If you were to ask anyone in this room, what would you do if you knew you only had 30 days to live? I think the, probably the most uh, real answer, or the, the most consistent answer over and over again from many people would be, I want to spend time with those I love. That's a natural desire. That would be there in in my own life as well. I'm sure there would be other things I'd like to do, uh, but they would involve wanting to be around my family, loving them. And this is what Jesus did. But it's not that just Jesus showed the full extent of his love to them, but Jesus showed us how we ought to love. And if we want to live life passionately, then it means we must love two uh, people uh, while we're here on earth. The first one we need to love is to love God. The scriptures tell us in Matthew that Jesus told us that you could sum up the whole uh, book of the law with two commands. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and strength. That's the first one. To love God with all that you have. That's what living the dash is all about. We so many of us find ourselves loving the things that we want to love and what God says is if you want to understand the Bible And you first understand this love me Give me your all give me everything that you have every part of you Love me Because I love you and I have loved you and I've given my son to you Jesus showed us how to love the father how to make sure that we lived according to as well as he did. But notice he did one other thing. He loved others. He loved others. You want to make sure that you uh, live the dash. It means then living for others. It means loving them in a way that maybe you haven't loved them before. It maybe means slowing down in your daily activities to help someone in need. To speak words of encouragement to a son or to a daughter. Uh, to show affection uh, to a spouse. To speak well of a person who maybe has not spoken so well of you. And to love completely. is to love God and love others. But how did Jesus do this? I love where this verse is at in John, uh, John thirteen one. My heading in my Bible says... Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The first way that we love God and love others is, is we serve them. We serve them. Flip the other one. We'll get to sacrifice here in a moment. I forgot to give you the change on that. Service, first of all. Jesus washes his, his disciples' feet. He served them. He took a towel. He took a basin. And he did the most menial work in first century Palestine And he washed their dirty feet from the dusty roads that they were a part of. Even though he was God, he lowered himself to do a job of a servant. You want to start changing the world around you? Start serving those around you. Not just here in the church, but serving those outside of the church neighbors and friends, people that you don't know, start serving them. This is the example that Jesus gives, and we'll be talking about this more in the future, but this is what it means to live differently if we knew we only had one month to live. Who could we serve? How could we serve that would change the very essence of how that person views life, God, and the world that they live in? Number two, after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, just a couple chapters later, in fact, in the, in the chronological order, it is just the next day that Jesus would sacrifice his life. How do we show love to God? We serve him. How do we show love to others? We serve them. And we do it through sacrifice. Jesus lived 33 years. And he lived that life passionately. And he did so So that at the end of his life, he would get on a cross, be hung on a tree so that he could shed his blood so that you and I could have the opportunity to have fellowship and a relationship with him. And Jesus says, if you're one of my followers, then service and sacrifice must be a part of who you are. Jesus loved completely. Are you? If you're not, then you're not living the dash that God has for us. Number three, Jesus learned humbly. Even though Jesus was God, he taught us by his own example how to learn humbly. He showed us how to give up our own prerogatives and obey God. How did he do that? Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. In Philippians chapter 2, an incredible passage of Scripture that speaks to what Jesus Christ gave up in leaving heaven. It says this, "'Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, "'who, being in the very nature God, "'did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, "'but made himself nothing, "'taking the very nature of a servant, "'and being found in appearance as a man, "'he humbled himself and became obedient to death, "'even death on a cross.'" I want you to understand something. Before Jesus was ever in Bethlehem, he was enthroned in all splendor and glory, being worshiped by myriads of angels because he was God. But Jesus said, I'm going to lay all that aside. And I'm going to go to earth. I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to live life just as they live life. I'm going to be tempted. I'm going to experience all kinds of trouble, trials and tribulations. I'm going to experience all this so that I can serve them by going to the cross. And so he lays down his prerogatives of being God and he says, Father, I will obey you. That even when it got tough, Jesus would say, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And so what Jesus teaches us is to humble ourselves and to obey. We obey when even problems come our way. You know, Jesus didn't have a carefree life. Jesus' parents, as soon as Jesus is born, have to flee to Egypt because Herod's coming with his men to kill all the boy babies under two years of age. Why? Because they're looking for him. And you thought you had a traumatic experience as a baby. Jesus would have a quiet time being raised uh, by two wonderful parents, Joseph and Mary, Uh, but a time would then come uh, as he began ministry that problem after problem would come. People wouldn't make it easy for Jesus, and yet Jesus never got off of message. Jesus never got off of mission. He served his Father. He obeyed the will of his Father in heaven, even when problems came, and we should as well. As problems come, we should not say, well, God wanted me to obey, but now that we have no money, now that we have this trial in our lives, now we're not going to. No, that is the time that we must obey all the more. Notice the next thing. When problems come our way and when people hurt us, Jesus had people that hurt him. Jesus had people that failed him. All of his friends, the night that he would have needed them most, the night that he was betrayed, the night he was arrested, the night that he would be beaten and abused, all of his friends, or so-called friends, all of his followers ran away. They tripped over each other to get away as fast as possible because they were afraid. And yet Jesus still obeyed. When he was by himself being accused falsely of crimes, he, of course, never committed. Jesus stood there. And as a sheep, silent before the shears, he remained quiet. He didn't ask where all his friends had gone. He didn't do all of that. He obeyed God amidst the circumstances around him, even when people heard him. What's the next one? When other paths are attractive, In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is out in the desert, and he has spent days, weeks, in fact, out in the desert, not eating anything. And the devil comes, and the devil tempts him in three different ways. If you do this, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll give you the authority you want. I'll give you the power that you want. I'll give you anything that you want in this world. Just bow down to me. That seems pretty attractive. Jesus, you don't have to die. You don't have to go through all this stuff. If you just bow to me, I'll give you anything that you want. And Jesus says, I'm not going to follow you, devil, but I'm going to follow my God in heaven. Some of us aren't living the dash. Some of us are not living life on purpose because we find other paths that are more attractive. Things in this world that are more attractive to us than following God. And we wonder why we struggle. Some of us find ourselves in great economic turmoil because we've focused in on buying everything that we don't need. And we're paying the penalty for that now as the bills come in. Some of us have marriages that are all out of whack because we have pursued paths that seem attractive. The Bible says that some ways seem right to man, but in the end, they bring us to our own demise. Sin tempts us, just as the devil tried to tempt Jesus to pursue a path that would lead him to give up everything that he had. And when we follow those attractive ways, we lose the opportunity to live the dash and to obey God. Finally, Jesus shows us that he learned humbly by obeying God even when life was painful. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was abused. He was mocked. His back would be torn to shreds because he would be whipped over and over again. He would be abandoned. He would have then have to take a cross, carry it up to a hill. And the men would put stakes into his hands and into his feet, and he would be placed, uh, the cross would be placed into a hole, and he would be lifted up. And literally, if you study Roman execution of that day, he would suffocate to death because he'd be unable to breathe. And even during all that time, my friends, Jesus remained obedient. He never stopped and said, this was a big mistake. Uh, Hey, hey, forget it. I, I was kidding. I just wanted to get a little attention. My mom didn't love me when I was growing up. He didn't do that. He hung on the cross. And when people mocked him, And people laughed at him. He looked down, suffocating, he looked down and he says, Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus shows us obedience. If you want to live the dash, if you want to live life on purpose, then it means obeying God. I love what Proverbs 3.6 says. Proverbs 3.6, I write this passage down, I'll just read it for us. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, famous passage of Scripture, this is what the uh, writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That word acknowledge, literally in the Hebrew, means put God first. God's not asking you to go to a cross. God's not asking you to do anything but to put God first. And I want you to think about some things. You want to live life passionately. You want to live the dash. Then number one, give God the first day of the week. Just as you're here today, give God the first day of your week. And say, God, you're so important to me that I want to start my week off right and I'm going to come to church. I'm going to come to church so I can worship you and give you the glory and honor. I'm going to praise you that first day of the week. Number two, not only give God the first day of the week, give God the first part of every day as you wake up. If it's five in the morning, if it's eight o'clock in the morning, if it's one in the afternoon, whenever you wake up, stop and say, Lord, I give you this day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to open your word. Whatever it is that you would just give the Lord the first part of your day. Lord, send this day in the way, Send me out in this day in the way I should go. Allow me not to sin. Allow me to uh, be an encouragement to those around me. Allow me to live for you. Number three, give God the first portion of your income. God doesn't need your money. But God wants to know, do I have your heart? Do I have your heart? And the biggest thing that gets between us and our heart is our wallets. Give God the first portion of your income. The Bible says 10% is a great place to be. It's a great place to start. But I would say just give a little. And, and I would even say today, if you're new to this walk of Christianity, don't give it here. At least not today. I don't want you to think that it's about me asking for money, but this is what the Scripture tells us. We are to give back to God out of gratitude of our hearts of what God has done. Finally, Give God the first consideration of every decision. Every decision. You're going to go buy a car? Ask God to give you wisdom. You're going to pick a college to go to? Ask God to uh, be in that decision. You're going to ask someone to marry you? Ask God to be in that decision. Lord, what would you have for me? What would you want me to do? This is obedience. It's not very hard. But it takes us being humble and saying, Lord, you're in charge, I'm not. And I will do as you say. The final thing as I close is that Jesus left boldly. Luke 9.51, we'll study this here in about a month. In Luke 9.51, Jesus, uh, we are told about Jesus in the following way. He says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, again, we see this idea of his time being set. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The idea here is Jesus knew what Jerusalem meant. It meant crucifixion. It meant the end of his life. And he didn't go the other way, as we would probably do. He says he resolutely set off for Jerusalem. And I want you to ask the question today, are you ready to leave if today was your last day? Are there regrets? Are there things in your life that that will keep you uh, from not leaving so boldly? Jesus left boldly. He left with his head held high, knowing he had accomplished everything. It's amazing on the cross, one of the things that he says is, it is finished. My job here on earth, my work here, Father, it's done. I've accomplished what you've wanted done. I accomplished what you sent me here for. And I have to ask the question, God, can I say that at the end of my days, just as Jesus, can I say, I've accomplished what you wanted. It means two things. Number one, understand this. It will help you as you live one month, this one month. Number one, life is stewardship. It's all about stewardship. God owns everything. Understand that life isn't about you. Ephesians 2 10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God created us. He has a job for us, and He has set us in that direction to go. And the question is will we be a good steward or one who fails? Will we live according to His word or will we go our own way? Life is not our own. We are not our own. The Bible says we were bought with a price, we are His. And now we need to serve our Master. And number two, life is short. Our life is just a vapor. Those people on 9-11, my brother, they never knew life was as short as it was until the day they found themselves at the end of their life. So what should we do? Live for eternity. Live for eternity. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Father God, As we embark on this series and as we have laid forth the principles of how you lived. Lord, I want to pause and ask the question. Is that how I live? Lord, whether my listener is a first time guest here or has been here and listened to me over and over again and heard your word opened up. Lord, I want us to ask this question. Can I say, just as the Apostle Paul did, that I've run the race, I've finished the race, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith. Lord, can I say that I've accomplished what you had for me to accomplish? Lord, can we as listeners say that we have lived life passionately with the same passion you did? Can we say that we loved you and loved others completely? Setting aside our own desires and passions and serving others, living lives of sacrifice. Lord, can we say we obeyed you, even in the small things, so that, Lord, today, if we were to leave, and, Lord, if it was your will that we would head out onto 47, and for whatever reason, our life would be cut down, Lord, that we would know that we've lived life to the fullest. Lord, I pray for that person here today who has never trusted you as their Savior, that today, before they leave, they would talk with me, they would talk with a person at the Welcome Center, they would talk to the person sitting in the pew next to them and say, how can I know that I have this life? how can I have Jesus? Lord, I love the words of the song our brass ensemble sang, or played, Give Me Jesus. No matter what this world has and the treasures that it has here, Lord, to live the dash, we must do what what that song says and we should cry out and say, Give Me Jesus. Lord, I pray that that's our heart. I pray that as a result of that, we would look at life differently. As we leave this place, with every decision that we make, we would ask the question, would I do this? Would I say this? Would I spend my time like this if I had only one month to live? Lord, I pray for this series. I pray for the small groups that are going to be going on this week, that you would give us a great time around your word as we ask this foundational question. Because we desire to live like you, to be like you, and to walk as you did. So send us forth from this place, Lord, as we fellowship and have food together, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would spend time getting to know those around us, making the most of every opportunity, because your scripture says the days are evil. To you be glory, honor, that you have been brought praise in the service. We thank you and praise you. Send us forth from this place as followers of yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.